can't explain to you what a good honor and a great honor it is to be with you tonight. Uh, it's not often that we have an opportunity as men to gather in a situation like this and to sit under the authority of God's word together. And it's not often that we have the opportunity to just be with each other and hear each other sing. And so thank you, men, for leading me in worship. Uh, thank you for helping me uh, remember our great God and King. Um, my hope for us tonight as we enter our first message is that we would say uh, lay a foundation for what's going to happen over the next uh, three, three sessions. And part of that today is for giving me the opportunity to tell you, tell you my story a little bit. Um, so I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I grew up in Green River, Wyoming. So um, I'm, a, I'm a Westerner at heart. And I grew up in a, a home where my mother was raised in the church, but she didn't believe, and my father was raised uh, as a Catholic, and he he didn't believe, but I had a very faithful grandmother, and so she would roll that 1986 uh, Chevy Caprice station wagon into the driveway of my house every Sunday morning and proclaim that church was going to start whether or not I was there, and so she would drag me whatever state I was in, and so I don't know how many prayer meetings I sat through as a, as a little kid holding the clammy hand of whatever old person it was that was sitting next to me, just p- literally praying, even as a six-year-old, dear Jesus, I just want this to be over so I can, I can go home. Um, but my grandmother, she, she, loved, she loved me as, as her grandson. She loved my sister as her granddaughter, and she wanted us to, to know Jesus. That was clear, uh, but... It was really out of her deep and abiding love of Jesus and for her deep and abiding love of Jesus that I came to know the gospel. Um, And so if you've never heard the gospel before, I just want to tell you this morning or this evening that uh, the gospel is that um, we had our first parents, Adam and Eve, and God made them. He made them as a reflection of who he was, and he made them and he put them in a beautiful place in a garden to tend that garden as a reflection of who he was. And then sin entered that garden through the serpent, and the serpent lied to Adam and Eve, and they believed the lies that the serpent told them. And so they ate of this fruit of the tree that they weren't to eat of, and that's when sin entered our world. And sin broke that perfect relationship that we have with God, and and sin continues to break our relationships today. Sin gets in the way of the way things are supposed to be. And ever since that time, God has been over and over making a way for his people to be back in right relationship with him again. Uh, When you read the Bible, you hear the story of God's desire for that. He did that through first a special people that he called to himself, the people of Israel. And through a system of sacrifices, he made a way for man to be right with him again. But we continue to break that covenant that God had made with us over and over again to the point when he came in the flesh um, in his son Jesus. And he lived the life that we couldn't live And he died the death that we couldn't die in perfect obedience to his father. And his sacrificial death on our behalf gave us an opportunity for right relationship with God again. And what that means for me and what that means for you is that God's greatest desire is that you would enter a lifelong relationship with him. And he made a way for that. And so our responsibility when it comes to a relationship with God is just to be honest about who he is and to be honest about who we are and then respond to what God is doing in our heart. And so my hope for you is that you would respond to the voice of God calling you into deeper relationship with him. In fact, my purpose in being with you tonight is so that you will know your story. I shared with you just a piece of my story. My purpose in preaching to you men tonight is so that you will know your story about where you are in relationship with God. 
It's important that you know your story because if you don't have a firm grasp on what God has done in your life, is doing what he desires to do, you may settle for a substitute story. If you don't have a firm understanding of what God desires to do in your life, you're going to settle for a substitute story, someone else's story of what you should do with your life. Or if you don't understand what God wants to do with your life, you may settle or you may leave when things get difficult for you. So a couple questions I want you to consider as we move through the message this evening. Number one, I want you to take stock of where you are in your relationship with Jesus. Because all of us are somewhere in relationship with Jesus. So would you consider yourself as one who's walking close to Jesus side by side? Would you consider yourself as somebody who walked closely with Jesus for a time, but now you would say that you're farther away from him? Or, or maybe tonight you would say, I don't have a relationship with Jesus to speak of at all. I've never entered any kind of relationship with him. Let's just be honest about that tonight. So where are you in your relationship with Jesus? Second question for you. Who knows my story? Have you shared that story of how you came to know Jesus with somebody lately? Have you shared the story of your life at all with anybody lately? Do you have a kind of relationship with somebody that you could share your story with them? And finally, your third question tonight is, are there parts of my life that I don't share with God or with anybody else? Are there parts of my life that I don't share with God or with anybody else? Over the next three sessions, we're going to be using the relationship that Paul had with a younger brother of his in the faith named Timothy as kind of a model for what it looks like to have an unshakable faith. And our primary text for the next three days is going to be found in the book of 2 Timothy. So if you have a copy of God's Word with you tonight, I invite you to open to the book of 2 Timothy. It's towards the end of the Bible. And so if you're flipping through and you see books like 1 Timothy, keep going. If you see like books called Acts and Romans and Galatians and Ephesians, keep going. If you get to a few books towards the end called Titus and Philemon and Hebrews, you've gone a little bit too far. Flip back a little bit and you'll find the book of 2 Timothy. I remind you that 1 and 2 Timothy were written as letters to his younger brother in the, by Paul to Timothy. And 2 Timothy specifically was written when Paul was at the end of his life. He was in jail and he writes to his younger brother in the faith to encourage him and also in very specific points of vulnerability to ask for help. Paul knows he's meeting the end soon and so you see him very vulnerably saying, Timothy, would you come and see me please? Would you hurry? Would you come and see me? Would you bring some other people with you? Because I'm, I'm alone. I feel lonely. There are some, of, some of your friends that have, and my friends have left me. Uh, some are standing firm by me, but I'm alone. Could you? It's cold also. Can you bring a blanket? Can you bring my cloak to me? Because I, I have need of it, and I have need for, for you to come and see me. And so what we see here in this, this text of a younger man learning from an older man and hearing from an older man is this incredible depth of relationship, and it's informative for us as well. So tonight we're going to lay an unshakable foundation or what it means to have an unshakable foundation in relationship with God and we'll see that in three ways primarily. We'll first see that your story is not about your story is about you. Your story is about you. Secondly, your story is about others. And finally, your story is about God. Your story is about you. It's about others and it's about God. So look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will for the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly loved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my forefathers did when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy, clearly recalling your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois, then in your mother Eunice, and that I am confident and convinced is in you also. Let me pray for us. Lord, your desire is that we would be in deep and abiding relationship with you. Lord, you desire that we would lay a foundation of faith, Lord, um, and one that wouldn't be shaken by the winds of culture, by the things of change, that it would remain firm in you. And so as we look at your word tonight, Jesus, help us to be honest about who you are and honest about who we are and help us to respond in obedience to what we hear. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Again, tonight, men, we're going to talk about this unshakable foundation we have. And first, I want you to see that your story is about you. And knowing your story begins with being honest about yourself, being honest about who you were, being honest about who you are now, and being honest about what God wants to do in you in the future. I want you to be honest about what God is doing in you and through you. And again, just to set the stage, Paul had been arrested and he writes from the loneliness of a dungeon, having been through a trial and expecting to die soon. He'd been treated unevenly by Christian friends. Some had sacrificed greatly. Others had abused and deserted him. And most of his close friends had left for specific ministry. To put it again mildly, Paul was lonely. Anybody say amen? Men? Have you ever been lonely? One of the, the greatest surprises to me in my young married life was that feeling of loneliness that I had. I think those of you who've been married... And those of you who may about to be married, let me surprise you that your wife isn't going to fill every need that you have. There'll be a day when you wake up and you realize, like, man, there's, these, there's still holes in my life because I'm expecting my wife to do things for me that only Jesus can do. I'm expecting that person to do things for me that's not right. I have this unrealistic expectation of this person. And so even Paul, as super missionary as he was, as church planter as he was, as disciple-making as he was, he was in a place of incredible loneliness. And it's from that place of loneliness that he writes to encourage his younger brother and son in the faith and the work that Timothy had been given to do. And for Timothy's part, he had reason to need encouragement, didn't he? He was young in the faith. And in the first letter that Paul wrote to him, in 1 Timothy, he said, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you or despise you because you're young. But set an example for the believers in love and life and in speech and faith and in purity, he told him. We also know that Timothy was frequently ill. He may have been naturally timid in nature. And that church in Ephesus where Paul had left him had some incredible problems in it. Think if this sounds familiar to you. People were defecting from Jesus. His opponents, the heretics, were very, very determined. There were other people causing division in the body over things that didn't really matter. There was a lot of heretical teaching going on that people had access to around them. And Christians were being persecuted by the state, even, in some ways. And can anyone say amen to Timothy with that? Right? Is the Bible relevant for today? We like to think that somehow things were different then than they are now. And when you read the word, you see that, no, things are pretty much the same. We have the same types of problems. Our technology is a little bit different. But our problems are pretty much the same. Listen, 
We don't do ourselves or anybody else or the mission of God any good when we can't state plainly the mess that we're in or what's going on around us. How many of you are guilty when someone asks you, hey, man, how are you doing? Like Matthew West says, I'm fine, yeah, I'm fine, yeah, I'm fine, right? Yeah, we just, we just find our way through our life. We find our way through relationships with other people in the church when God's calling us just to be honest about the mess that we're in. As any of us that have lived life for any time know that most of the time, we're not really fine. We're not fine. So I wonder, men, what keeps us from being honest about this mess that we're in, the mess that we currently make every day? I think there are a couple things. I think pride gets in the way for us as men. Pride keeps us from being honest about each other, or honest about ourselves with each other. Uh, I grew up in Wyoming, we were raised to be very independent, and what that meant was um, we didn't have a need for anything from anybody. Um, My mother raised us as a single mother, she worked two and sometimes three jobs to do that. My father was physically abusive, and he left when I was in fifth grade, and so there was times, many times, when my mom would say, listen son, there's nobody to call if this thing needs fixed, we have, you and I have to find a way to fix this. Listen, son, there's, there's no money here. Like, we have to find a way to figure this out between you and I. There's nobody to call. And, and in some ways, she was right. But in other ways, what that developed in me was this tendency to not want to call anybody when anything was going on. So even now in my life, as a man who ministers in the church, um, who's on part-time staff at a church, even I don't pick up the phone or even cross the driveway to ask a neighbor for help when it would be very easy for me to do so. I'm prideful. I don't want anybody to know that I have need of anything. I think individualism keeps us from sharing our lives with other people. We want to be known as distinct and different from others. And so that keeps us, that drive for individualism keeps us from being honest with somebody else about the mess that we're in. I also think, unfortunately, that we have a misguided belief about the gospel, and that keeps us from being honest. And what I mean by that is we think that somehow we have to have our lives together before we come to know God in a life-changing way. Like, we know that we're a mess, but we don't want to be honest about that because we think somehow we wouldn't be approved by God. But the gospel teaches us that we're deeply, deeply flawed, and we're a bigger mess than we think that we are, but that God loves us anyway. He loves us anyway. Part of the, that's part of the wonder of the gospel is that God knows us intimately and he loves us anyway. He gave us a picture of that in marriage in some ways for those of us who are married, right? Your spouse knows you deeply and they choose to love you anyway. And you go, what in the world, right? Why is that? So our story, friends, our unshakable foundation is the story of, of us, of, of us, of me and you. But our story is also a story of, about others. Timothy where, was where he was because of Paul. And we are, all of us are where we are because of the grace of God and the faithfulness of others. I love how Paul affirms Timothy's mother and his grandmother in his story of faith. He says, I thank God for what happened in your life. In verse 5, he says, I clearly recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother, Lois, then in your mother, Eunice, and I'm convinced is in you also. It's in this mess that Paul is in that he encourages his younger brother, Timothy, in the mess he's in. At the end of the letter, he even expresses great vulnerability, asking Timothy to come see him. 
When I, when I read this letter, I get the sense that Paul, when he's encouraging Timothy, is encouraging himself, preaching to himself as much as he is Timothy when he's writing these words to him. So if you read the entire letter of 1 and 2 Timothy, the two letters, you'll hear him say things like, stand strong, hold fast, endure, do the work of a soldier. You gotta do this, you gotta keep on, don't give up. I get the sense that Paul is trying to remind himself of this gospel that he's telling Timothy. And I wonder, have you ever had that experience, brothers, where you go to encourage someone else and even maybe kick them in the pants a little bit? Like, man, you got to get out of this wallow you're in. You go to do that, but you're the one who ends up encouraged, challenged, and even rebuked a bit in your own encouragement. Have you had that experience? So um, my primary work in Kansas City, we live in Kansas City, is I'm the church planting catalyst for the North American Mission Board there. So I recruit and resource and train guys to plant churches in Kansas City and across the rest of eastern Kansas. And so I was meeting with one of our church planters last week, and he was sharing with me, I was asking him how he was doing, and he shared with me a story about how his young church, and his not very large church plant, how there had been over the last year a bunch of division that was caused primarily by these three families. And he said, very early on, he said, I had this desire. I, I, I really just wanted to tell one of these families to take a hike. He's like, there, were, there was division, and I just wanted to tell them to leave. He said, but I got the sense that if our God is a God of reconciliation, and we're ministers of reconciliation, then I need to lead them to be reconciled with one another. So he put together this plan in their church, their small church invested resources for an outside consultant to come in and facilitate this reconciliation. They spent time and talent and treasure to see their church be reconciled. And he said, and we were feeling really good, and then two weeks ago, I thought the whole thing was gonna fall apart. And it was a Sunday morning, and I didn't know what to do. And so I begged God, I said, God, I don't know what you're gonna do, but you're gonna have to bring reconciliation. And he said, on my drive from where I live to the building where we worship, one of the ladies that was in the center of this conflict called me, and she just said, Pastor, I repent. Pastor, I repent of what I've done and my part in this, and I'm coming today, and I'm going to apologize and seek forgiveness from these families that I've hurt. And God did, did this great work. And as I was sitting listening to him tell this story, I was cut to my heart because I realized there were times when I would just want somebody to go the other way because it was the easier thing to do. I was the one that was challenged and rebuked and encouraged by this younger brother in the faith who I went to go and rebuke and encourage. I tell you that to remind you, men, that ministry doesn't only move one direction. One of the undersold aspects of gospel ministry is the mutual giving and receiving of comfort, challenge, edification, and empathy. That's true, brothers. Brothers, we desperately need one another. I need you. And you need me, and we need each other. So I want to challenge you not to isolate yourself out of fear of rejection or place yourself on too high of a pedestal out of pride that you don't allow other brothers in the body of Christ whom you labor alongside to minister to you in your time of need. So I want to ask you, what keeps you from asking for and receiving comfort or ministry? Whatever it is, it's not worth it. It's simply not worth it. Let me ask you, have you ever found yourself asking the question, what happens if I tell them about this? What, what happens if they know this about me? Let me ask you a different question. What happens if you don't tell them? Do you think your problem is going to get easier to, to work with? No. You know what happens in the life of the church if you don't share your life with somebody? You, you're in a problem, and someone asks you how you're doing. 
And so you don't do anything with, you, you lie, you say, I'm fine. And so you separate yourself a little bit more. And they think you're telling the truth, so they think you're fine, they leave you alone. And then your problem doesn't get better, so you move farther away. And then Satan starts to condemn you and convict you and tell you things like, that church doesn't care about you. Those people don't care about you because if they cared about you, they would know something was wrong with you. So then you start to resent the very people that are your salvation in a lot of ways because you don't think they care about you because you didn't actually share your life with them. And it's this downward spiral until you find yourself far away from the body of Christ that's there to minister to you in your time of need. So don't isolate yourself. Don't be, don't be keeping yourself or parts of your life from somebody. <clears throat> what I love when I read this passage is that even though Paul's situation is incredibly dire, he chooses gratitude for the legacy of faith and the work of God in Timothy's life. He says, I thank God when I remember your story of faith. I tell you that to just encourage you men that when you don't know what to do, choosing gratitude and serving someone else is a great place to start Amen. when you don't know what to do. Choosing gratitude and service is a great place to start. Love you, Lord. you see, men, gratitude is a choice. Gratitude is the self-administered remedy to our culture that's sick with cynicism. I'm prone to being cynical in my life. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm very weary of anything. When someone wants to get super excited about something, I'm always the one to go, let's wait a minute and see, right? So I'm always cynical about things. But if I'm not careful, that cynicism starts to make me a very difficult person to be around. And so I've developed a discipline in my life that whenever I find myself being cynical, I'm just going to encourage somebody that day. Like, man, when I get so fed up with something, I'm like, man, who can I encourage today? And I just send somebody a note and say, hey, bro, I just want to let you know I really appreciate you. I appreciate you in the way that you handled this. Or, man, the last time I saw you, you said this, and that really blessed me. And I just want to encourage you today. And you know what typically happens when I think about somebody else? My problem seems to get a little bit easier to contend with. And usually it's reciprocated, isn't it? Like, oh, wow. And they're like, hey, man, thanks so much. I needed that today. And you know what? Sometimes they'll reach out and say, man, I really needed that. You don't even know how the Lord used you to keep me from making a bad decision today or saying something that I regret. Listen, we, we've all had a rough time for different reasons over the last several, want, several months, but there's several things that we can do, several things in our life that we're responsible for that are disaster-proof. Attitude, gratitude, and your personal discipline. Do you know that? You're responsible for those, and they're absolutely disaster-proof. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world around us. You're always responsible for your attitude, your gratitude, and how you live your life personally. You're responsible for those things. So if you don't know what to do, choose encouragement, be thankful, and keep yourself in check. So what keeps us from serving and sharing our story with others? I think that the primary thing is that keeps us from sharing is we don't actually have a story to share. We don't have a story to share. So again, I want to ask you, man, where are you in your relationship with Jesus? Do you have a story of a relationship with Jesus to share with others? And if, if you don't, I want to challenge you tonight to move in a little closer to Jesus. Wherever you are, I'm not telling you you have to have all your questions answered. I'm not telling you you have to have it all figured out. I'm just telling you to consider opening your life to moving in a little bit closer to Jesus, to praying a prayer and saying, God, I don't know much about you, but I want to know more. I want to move in a little bit closer to you. Secondly, I think what keeps us from sharing our story and serving other people's is insecurity. We don't think that we have a life or a story worth sharing. 
I'm guilty of that. Sometimes I'm guilty of not thinking, oh, they already, that thing that I know about, they don't need to know about that, right? Or, man, I don't want anything, I don't want anyone to think I'm someone special, so I don't, I don't need to stand up and say something, or I don't need to share what I know with somebody else. Listen, man, no one is made like you are. Do you know that? God didn't make anyone else with the unique combination of giftedness, talent, and ability that he made you with. And if you fail to share your life with someone else, it's a denial of the image of God that you were made in. Do you know that? That God made us as a reflection of the reality of who he is. And so one of the ways that we get to know more about what God is like is when we enter deeper relationship with somebody else. We go, man, God, what a unique reflection of your character and nature that you made that guy the way that you did. I didn't know that you were like that, God, but you are. And so when we don't share our lives with others, we're denying them more of the reality of who God is when we don't share our life with them. I think another thing that keeps us from sharing our life with others is margin. We don't have enough margin. We're over-programmed and we're over-scheduled. And so we don't, we don't have time. We don't make time for others. Next, we have a fear of getting hurt, and that's a true and legitimate fear. But I want to tell you that vulnerability is a risk that we have to take in the church because we can't make disciples without being vulnerable with each other. You can't make disciples. I mean, Jesus, if, if, if Jesus' very friends deserted him when he needed them the most, what makes us think that we would experience anything different than our Lord and Savior did? But we can't, the mission can't stop because we're afraid of getting hurt. It can't. It just can't. Our story is about us. Our story is about others. But our story is also a story about the Lord. Um, I shared with you a little bit that my, my dad was abusive. He's an alcoholic. He was an abuser. He was one of, um, of 16. He had 15 brothers and sisters. And, and nobody on my dad's side of the family has a deep and abiding relationship with Jesus to speak of. Not, not a single one. Uh, in the town that I grew up in, my, my family name does not have a very good reputation. My dad, um, he's been in and out of prison for the last 20 years. And about a couple years ago, one of his brothers uh, got high and drunk. And he ran his SUV into a trailer house and killed uh, a young woman and her very young daughter. And they sent him to prison as well for that. And so... Um, one of my favorite verses is found in Second Chronicles when David finds out he's going to be king and he goes in and says that he sits before the Lord and he says, who am I, O Lord, and what is my house that you've brought me this far? Yet you've spoken of your servant's house for a long time to come and I'll sit before you. And when I read, when I read that verse and I think about that verse, I think about how God took somebody and he changed the trajectory of their life and he used David's family line to ultimately bring about the birth of our Savior. So when I think about the life that God has given me to live, and I look at my five, nearly six children, I look at my lovely wife, and I look at the legacy of faith that wasn't there before, and how God picked me, and he transformed my life, I say, things were the way that they were for some time with the, my family name, but they're not going to be that way anymore. They're not going to be that way anymore. Because it is true, men, that the sins of the Father are visited upon the sins of the Son, but the grace of God extends for countless generations. And so I want to challenge you that whatever story brought you to this point, you have the opportunity to change the trajectory of your life and the life of thousands of people to come. 
And it's your obligation and responsibility to ask what you're doing with that. So when I think about the condition of the men in my life, in my family life, and I think about the condition of the men that I'm raising in my own home, I just marvel at the grace and the glory of God. So who am I, O oh Lord, and what, am, what is my house that you brought me this far? So I want you to own your own story, whatever it is. What brought you to this time and place? What has God done in your past? What is God doing in your life right now? And what do you desire for him to do in the future? Because God is weaving a tapestry of grace in and through your life. Man, the places you've been and the things that you've done have made you who you are. For good or for ill, whatever it is. But they don't determine who you will become. They don't determine who you will become. When Paul writes to Timothy here, he tells him to look back and remember this legacy of faith that he has so that he can look forward. It's like he's telling him that so much of this life that you live, Timothy, is with Jesus is just being reminded of what you already know. And so, man, I just want to remind you tonight that if you have a relationship with Jesus, that in Christ you're chosen by him. In Christ you're holy, you're set apart by him. And in Christ you're ultimately loved. You're ultimately loved. So, a couple takeaways for you tonight. I want you to remember, I want you to remember, remember this work that God has done, whatever it is, however he brought you here. Maybe when you look back, you don't like what you see. I want you to look at that sin, but then I want you to take several more looks at Jesus and remember. Secondly, and more importantly, I want you to move in closer to Jesus. Wherever you are in your relationship with him, I'm challenging you to just move in a little closer tonight. After I'm done here, uh, you're going to hear some instructions and have some questions asked, but I encourage you that if you have questions about what it means to live in a relationship with Jesus, if that's something you want to know more about, don't leave here without getting your questions answered. If you're struggling with um, sin, if there's something in your life that you haven't shared with somebody else that you need to share with somebody else, don't leave without sharing that with somebody and seeking help, seeking prayer from another brother in the Lord. If you'd like me to pray with you or for you in any way, um, I'll be available to you to pray with you and for you. And let's talk about what life with Jesus looks like a little bit more. Um, I've been driving a lot more lately, uh, traveling around, seeing some people. And so um, I'd never had read Pilgrim's Progress because it's super long, yo. So I decided I'm going to listen to Pilgrim's Progress. And if you haven't read the book... Um, I'm not going to worry about spoiling it because it's literally hundreds of years old now. Uh, so it's an allegorical tale of a man named Christian and his journey from death to life, of his journey of not knowing Jesus to following Jesus. And along this journey that, of Christian's life that is told in Pilgrim's Progress, he encounters many people and he encounters many trials. And some of those people that he encounters, the characters in the story are good and some are nefarious. And one of the good characters he encounters is another sojourner or journeyer named Hopeful. And there are several points along the story, along the journey as, as, as Christian heads to the celestial city. There are several points when he's prone to despair and he wants to give up. There are times when he's despairing even of his life. 
thinking that I should just end this because I can't take this anymore. And at several points along the way when he wants to give up, Hopeful encourages him and Hopeful reminds him of where they're headed. Hopeful reminds him of where they're going and and what is true. And towards the end of that part of the story, Christian and Hopeful are about to enter the celestial city. And there's one more river that they have to cross before they enter the city. And as Christian begins to cross, he begins to sink And he starts to despair of his life again there at the end saying, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. I can't see the other side. This is too deep for me. And it's at that moment that Hopeful reaches down and and grabs him up and sets his feet on solid ground. And together they enter the celestial city together. And man, I tell you that to tell you that none of us enter the celestial city without help or alone. We all need somebody to help us. And none of us enter there alone. So... Don't try and do this journey. Don't try and take this journey in the Christian life by yourself. Don't do it. So move in closer to Jesus. Look back so that you can look ahead. Let me pray for you. Travis will be up. God, um, thank you for this time you've given us to share together and over the next couple days. It's our prayer that we would be honest about who you are, that we would be honest about who, who we are, and that we would respond. I pray that you'd help these men to lean into you um, in a deeper way and lean into each other, that they wouldn't feel like they have to do this alone. We love you, Lord, and we pray for these things tonight. Amen.